Mandy Monson is the VP of Finance for Resort Lifestyle Communities, which manages a portfolio of senior independent living communities. But she's also the co-founder of Store365 with previous guest Victor Diaz. And today, she's here to talk to us about commercial lending on self-storage. Mandy is a finance professional and real estate developer that also works with other women to help them crush their limiting beliefs and fear of failure so that they can determine their own destiny in the realm of career and money. She has spent a career in finance with everything from managed money portfolios to commercial loan underwriting during the Great Recession to today where she consults with potential borrowers on how to structure loans for the acquisition of self-storage and senior housing. In this episode, we talked to Mandy about her background in finance, how she found herself in the self-storage business, what a self-storage borrower should do to ensure a successful loan application, and the five C's of credit, and the big one you should pay attention to as a self-storage owner. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Mandy Monson, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. I always do this. I, I always introduce the people right as they're taking a drink. I did this exact same thing to your partner, Victor, yesterday. So. <laughs> it's, it's not a problem. I was just like, I better get ready. I got to have a drink of water. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you. It's great being here. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah. So... Your career has been in finance or banking for m- most of your your working life. Can you talk to us about when and how that crossed paths with self-storage? You bet. So my, you're right. My career has always been in some form of finance. In the early 2000s, I worked at Smith Barney. Um, then as I continued to grow in my career, I eventually ended up at Union Bank and Trust Company, Uh, where I was an analyst and then a commercial loan officer. In my role today, I'm the vice president of finance at Resort Lifestyle Communities. But within the last, I would say, six months, what's happened is I have really gotten immersed in the world of self-storage. I have a very good friend, Catherine D'Agostino, who owns Storage Ninjas and also does market and feasibility studies. Uh, She was having clientele consistently ask her, how do I go about getting a commercial bank loan? And so she did not want to take her time up coaching people on that. She said, hey, Mandy, can I send my clients your way? And I was like, absolutely. And so that led me to open up my own debt procurement coaching consulting business. And so now her, she refers her clients to me, which are in the realm of self-storage. And so that's really how I, I got immersed in it. When I was at Union Bank, I had done some lending to self-storage businesses, but really within the last six months, and it's such a great community. So 
I'm also really active on Clubhouse, which is a new app where people can connect audio-wise. There's nothing visual. It's all audio. And um, there's a self-storage group that's on there every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And so, I mean, it's really interesting how things have just really come together in the last six months. And it's such a great community. Again, like people are so willing to help each other and share information and collaborate that um, it's been an awesome experience for me. So you, you started a debt procurement consultancy. When a new storage investor comes to you with a potential deal, what are some of the things that they can do to ensure a successful loan? Yeah, you bet. So when I work with my clients, I always tell them, you know, the better prepared that they can be in the realm of when they approach a bank, the more success they will have. And so in the banking world, or in the underwriting world, I should say, you know, what we call that is the five C's of credit. And the five C's of credit is character. That's the first. And so character is really credit behavior. And it's credit behavior that's based on indicators like a credit report, right? A credit score, a payment history. So when we think about retail lending, right? When we go and get our mortgages for our homes, majority of what when you initially do an application, it's all based on credit, right? The mortgage officer, you know, inputs, you know, the value of the home, inputs all your W-2 information, and they basically do a credit check, and they can pretty much tell you right away if you're approved or not approved. So first is character, which is how have you performed personally, historically? So the second of the five C's is capacity. And what capacity is, especially when you think about real estate assets and the asset class of self-storage is included, is it's the real estate's current performance. The other term you could say is cash flow, right? Capacity and cash flow. So what is its current performance? And what is its forecasted performance demonstrating the borrower's ability to pay the lender back? So For example, if you have a current self-storage asset that's in production, right, that's why it's really important for you, the purchaser, to get the rent roll, to get the profit and loss statement, to get the balance sheet also so you can see transactions that have been going on via balance sheet and also to get those tax returns because the bank wants to know, well, how, how has this been performing? So in the realm of if you're doing ground up development, Right. So then you really need to understand, well, what's your what's the cost of development? What's the cost of the land? What's the cost to build, which would be hard costs and soft costs? And then when you're forecasting out, right, what does your forecast look like to lease up? So cash flow, capacity, meaning, okay, if I'm doing ground up development or let's say I have an underperforming current property, how long? Does it take me to get to stabilization? How long does it take me to get to break even based on interest-only payments or based on principal and interest payments? So, again, the more that the borrower can demonstrate they understand the project and they understand the metrics, the more successful they're going to be. So, the third piece to underwriting and when requesting credit that's good for borrowers to understand before they approach the bank is, okay, well, how much capital do you have, right? So how much capital can you invest or inject into the project? And based on the kind of financing that you're going out and trying to procure, right, 
those capital requirements are going to be different. So right now, a lot of smaller, I don't want to say smaller, but kind of independent self-storage owners, um, if they're just getting into the business or maybe they don't have a large portfolio yet, they can take advantage of SBA financing. So SBA financing is very popular because one, it has very low capital requirements as far as what you have to inject. It can be as low as 10% if you're just doing improvements to a project, or it can be 15% if you're just buying or starting ground up development. Now, if you're doing something outside of an SBA program, and like you and I could do a whole show on what's the difference between SBA and conventional. And if your you know, clientele wants that, we'd be happy to do it. But really, SBA, the value of SBA and why they have lower thresholds, by the way, it doesn't guarantee that you still might not have to put in additional capital. But essentially, the SBA, which is the government, says they'll guarantee a portion of that, which then makes the bank more interested in doing the loan. Because if you, the borrower, if it doesn't work out and everything falls to heck, at least the bank can then say, they can go to the SBA and say, hey, no, now we want you to pay us on that guarantee. Great, not a problem. So, But some borrowers don't want to do SBA. Maybe it's because the fees are more or it's just a more time-consuming deal. Well, they can just do regular conventional commercial financing, which then typically right now I see for self-storage, you really need to be prepared to put anywhere from 25 to 30% in. Now, the benefit, though, of doing that to the self-storage owner or developer is, you know, there's not as many fees typically involved with that. Sometimes you can get around doing feasibility studies, things like that. All you have to have is, is an appraisal. So the other piece, too, is not only just upfront fees, but more prepayment penalties. So if you're, say, you want to purchase an asset today, and you know your strategy is in three to five years, you're going to either refi it into non-recourse debt or you're going to sell it, then probably SBA is not necessarily what you want to do because that's really more long-term financing. And if you put yourself into that type of structure, you're going to be paying prepayment penalties that are pretty hefty to get out of it. So that then is uh, capital. So just going down then the, the two remaining as far as when when a purchaser or a developer is like, well, what do I need to know about when I go and ask the bank for debt? Well, you got to understand what your collateral is, which, you know, it's, yes, it's self-storage, but what is that, how has that property performed historically, especially if it's already in production? What's the occupancy today? I find it very interesting because now obviously I'm also in, in the realm of being an active owner. For example, my partner and I, uh, Victor Diaz out of Ohio, and our business is Store 365. We are, are purchasing a property in Ohio, but essentially kind of what our strategy is, is we're looking at, you know, basically a four hour drive circle around where he is or where I am. So he's, he's in uh, kind of the Cincinnati area. Uh, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so, we're, you know, we're looking at properties in a four-hour drive. And I find it really interesting, especially you see it's usually a lot of the, the larger brokers that do that. But, you know, putting a cap rate of whatever, 5% to 9% on a pro forma doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Like, that's great if everything is going fine and it's a unicorn world. 
that you want that you think you can sell it for two million dollars, but if that asset is only at sixty to sixty-five percent occupancy, that that doesn't work. And so, well, listen, it's it's if you're willing to pay that, but you know, people really need to think about, especially when they're looking at some of those those values and how they, they got to that value. You know, what does that mean? Because the reality is, is when you purchase that asset, you're going to have to get an appraisal on it. And, you know, the appraisers are going to look at it as what is that asset valued at today? What it is in production. If it's a new build, okay, what is, what is the as built value? And then what does it look like once it's stabilized? So again, if you, if you are, if you're so excited to get into the business, but you don't, necessarily understand what you're purchasing and how, you know, that, that pre that current owner and how that broker is basically valuing that asset. Um, you, it, it could, it could provide you some hurdles to get over with the bank then when you go to make your request. And so then the fifth, the fifth C of the five C's of credit is conditions. So conditions are what's the market analysis of the trends of your industry, like self-storage, it's a great real estate asset class to be in right now because self-storage historically has performed very well in any type of um, economic environment. And so for me, another reason why I want to actively get into self-storage is right now, most of my exposure is in seniors housing, which is a wonderful asset class, amazing asset class. But with the pandemic over the last 12 months, our asset class, whether it's warranted or not, for me, it's going to be a nice offset to exposure that I already have, which I would think for other real estate, you know, folks that are in real estate that have exposure to multifamily, you know, multifamily is still a great asset class, but there are things that those landlords are coming up against during this pandemic environment as far as moratoriums, et cetera. And so that's the macro level of conditions. The micro level of conditions, though, is any bank is going to ask you, what do your competitors look like in the market? What is the occupancy of the market, right? I mean, if you're buying an asset that's at 65% occupancy, but all the other competitors are also at, at say, 65 70% occupancy, well, what does that tell you? Probably tells me that the market has too, too much inventory, right? Because there's two things when you look at real estate, right? If the asset isn't performing, and it could be maybe if it's performing too, right? Performance is either based on the market or the marketing. So, so when you look at a self-storage asset, you as the purchaser, you as the developer really do need to understand what's going on in that micro market you know, what's the, the net rentable uh, square feet per, you know, person per net rentable square feet, those kinds of metrics. Because when borrowing money from the bank, and I, and I felt this way, and if you go to my LinkedIn profile, I think it says this, you know, successful businesses are ran by business owners and senior executive management that, one, understand their product, two, understand their people, which includes their employees and their their customers and understand their financials. If one of those things is not is not very good, the business can still make it. If two of those things are gone, they're probably it's going to be really tough for that owner to be successful. So the five C's that I just talked about, just to recap, which is character, 
capacity, capital, collateral, and conditions, any analyst at any bank is going to use that type criteria when looking at you and if they want to loan money to you because banks are not in the business of taking excessive risk. They are in the business of evaluating and determining what the potential is for that borrower to pay them back their money at the rate that they have lent to you. So we got a lot, we, we covered a lot there. It was great. I've got some follow-up questions. Sure. So one of the things that you brought up, and I think it's, it's such a great point is that, you know, brokers will, you know, they'll come to the table and they'll attach a, a five and a half cap to whatever asset they're trying to sell because they, they know what the NOI is and they just go, well, my, my, my owner wants 2 million for it. So I'm going to figure out a way to back into that number and give and get them that number out on the market. But what what you're saying is that a question that you should have, my guess is for the broker is, have you arranged bank financing at that, at that rate? Because if they haven't, and now you're going to a bank and the bank's going to look at that and go, no way we're lending on that cap rate for that asset. So Correct. is that, is that a question that you should, cause sometimes you'll see with an offer memorandum where a, a broker has, has already arranged financing for you. But my, I guess my question is if they haven't arranged it, should that be the question for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously if the broker has that put together, then okay. Then that, that, that makes, that means that asset meets the, the sniff test or the smell test. Um, I heard something the other day that I completely agree with. You should never buy real estate and you should never date, date this was in, in regards to women, but you should never date a man based on potential. So it, the same thing holds true, right? Because the reality is, is that when the bank looks at how that asset performs, they look at what is the capacity today. Because you're going to go out and you're going to make a request. And let's say you do it under the scenario where, essentially, and by the way, I don't blame brokers for doing this. It is their business to sell assets for owners at the highest value that the market will, will pay. Not a problem. That, that is what their job is. But your job as an owner and your job as a borrower is to understand what is truly the capacity of that asset which results in the ultimate value of the asset, right? I mean, when an appraisal is done, there's an appraisal based on, okay, what would it cost to rebuild the asset? But the value really comes from what is the cash flow of that asset, of that going concern business. You apply a cap rate to it based on the the asset class, which, you know, Self-storage is getting very popular, so the cap rates are coming down. The lower the cap rate, the more the more of a safe investment is, which then means the higher the, the value. But, you know, as, as owners, we really need to be careful, which is why we need to do our due diligence and understand what is the asset actually occupied at, and then what is, what is the net operating income coming off of that asset. And also, what is the economic occupancy? Because, you know, let's say an owner knows they want to sell the asset. So, you know, maybe they'll do some things like really drive down the rental rates to really get the occupancy showing better. 
again, you can't fault them for that. But as a purchaser, I need to understand, okay, what is the true economic occupancy then in addition to what is the current occupancy? Because then that all drives down to net operating income. Net operating income is what helps determine the value, which in the bank side, the bank is only going to loan you so much money against the value of that asset. Yeah. Well, I mean, you run up against this all the time with owners, you know, who, who want you to essentially pay for the pro forma that they're selling, you know, they're, they're basically, they've got their, NOI, whatever their NOI is and, and, you know, they'll basically try and get you one of the first self-storage facilities I ever underwrote the, the owner wanted to, they wanted to 1.8 million for it. Well, it was in a, a tertiary market and his NOI and the, the cap rate for that area was saying that it was no more than 1.1. I mean, he was just wildly, wildly, right. you know, but he was absolutely right. stuck on that price. He wanted that price. And then he knew then after a couple of months of people telling him you're crazy and banks telling him he was crazy, he then tried to fall yeah. back on, he then tried to fall back on, well, I'll do seller financing at 1.8. Because he knows that a bank is not going to do it, and again, right. as a as an as a potential buyer, that should be a warning sign for you. Because that essentially what that seller is trying to get you to do is pay up front for the work that you are going to do to try and get that asset yeah. up to that value. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you make such you make such a great point. I mean, even if that seller does go, well, no, here I'll I'll do it for you. I'll no, you're. You are, you are doing that for them. And again, you really have to think about, okay, what is the return that I want to get on the asset? Because there are more assets out there. I mean, I know that it's a very exhilarating process to be looking for an asset to put in off all of that, all of that is. But I think that's where you as the investor and active operator have to understand the financials that make up that deal so that as you go out and execute, you execute on your strategy. And sometimes that means you find a great asset you'd like to buy, but unfortunately the selling part party doesn't quite have uh, a concept of what, you know, you actually, you, your, your purchasing strategy and their selling strategy just doesn't line up because there are some people that have there, there's a lot of cash right now out there, even still on the sidelines and, you know, not everybody's investment and return criteria is the same. That's where you as the owner and investor really have to understand what yours is and, and what you're, what you're willing to put out in order to get the asset that you want. Yeah. And don't be shy about making that point to a, a potential seller and say, listen, I'm, I'm in this business to make money for myself and for my investors. And I would love to be able to pay, you know, your wildly, you know, exorbitant price, but it doesn't make sense for me financially or, or, or for my investors and, and to be okay with that and, and, and okay yeah. with walking away and saying, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't work for what your goals are. You know, you're, yeah. you're out there trying to find a win-win for yourself and for the seller. Totally. Totally. Like here's an example. So my partner and I, we, we looked at a conversion project for an old Kmart and Previously, the the owner of the of the ground had received a pretty premium offer from a REIT, 
And uh, the reason why the project didn't go through is because the city where this Kmart is located, they, they were not going to allow this REIT to put additional storage in, in the front and allow basically, you know, trucks and stuff like that. The city just didn't want that. And so, you know, we approached them, but, you know, we were only going to convert the Kmart because the city has already said, no, you can't put additional storage on. Therefore, like that source of income is gone. And so we could only pay an X amount on, on that asset because you were only going to be able to generate so much revenue and NOI from it. And, you know, listen, if, if another large REIT is willing to come into that market and pay that, like, good luck. I mean, I, you know, if they can get that, great. I don't think they're going to. And for us, it didn't make sense for us to pay that premium of a price because the problem is, and this is, this is any real estate, like you win when you buy it. You don't win when you sell it. And the reason why I say that is because if you buy it at too high of a price, if you don't understand the cost of your improvement, it puts pressure on your operations, which thus puts pressure on it when you want to sell or refinance the asset. So it is really good for a person to, again, understand the financial mechanics of that asset at the point of buying it. Because essentially what you do is you give yourself more cushion or margin than in the operations of it. And especially when it applies to if you're using bank financing or any sort of debt that you're going to use to fund the capital of that, because it is not a very fun experience to be in when you have over leveraged an asset, whether you're operating it efficiently or not. But if you don't buy it at the right price, you put too much debt on it and then you're not operating it efficiently. It's just very, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you, you, you talked about the five C's of credit, which is character, uh, capacity, capital, collateral, and conditions. And, and one of the things that we, you really have to focus on with storage is you can improve a storage facility. You can improve its operations. You can improve its curb appeal and things like that. You can't change its location. You can't change its market. And, you know, we, we've passed on some deals recently where it was like, it was a fantastic location. It had, uh, it had indications of, of undersupply in the area, but ultimately the market just gave us the heebie-jeebies and you cannot, you're not going to overcome, um, the demographics of a city that's been declining in population for 20 years. Correct. And that's really, yeah. and that's really where. I think often, uh, you know, a bank will tell you, no, we're not going to lend on that. And they're doing you a favor. Yes. Yes. And you'll, you'll even see banks directly state that like, you know, we just, we're looking, we're doing our own due diligence on the market and it, it doesn't make sense. And that is something actually in my corporate role at RLC that we talk about all the time because we build 180,000 square foot buildings. But it, again, that that concept holds true to any asset class in real estate, which is you can't move the, the, the building. You cannot move that parcel of ground. So you really better understand 
what the macro and the micro is in regards to conditions and looking at, you know, actually Victor and I looked at another property in Ohio and actually the, the data as far as the population was good. It, it, it just, but when we looked at that market, we're like, Oh, I, you know, I, I just don't know. And the asset was like at 65% occupancy. So we were like, okay, what can we do with this asset? Do we feel confident enough that we can get it where it needs to be, which we did. But then when we looked at it on the investment and the return horizon, there were other assets that we could go onto that were performing better that over the horizon, we were going to make a greater return. So, so we passed and that was, I mean, that, that was market. Yeah. So, you know, I often describe a good bank as being a partner in your deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a second and third set of eyes helping to prevent you from making a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Is there a common gotcha that self-storage investors miss when it comes to their own underwriting? Hmm. That's a good question. Let me pause. You know, I think anytime you go and request credit, this is just basics, you know, if the, if the bank already knows you, that helps, right? So if you already have a relationship with a commercial bank that knows you, because then that kind of goes back to actually character, right? If they've already, even if they've only had your, your deposit personal account, right? Have you been a good steward of your money personally, right? If you have other businesses, okay, have you been a good steward of, of your business money? I mean, the reality is is that there are banks across the country, and how I look at banks is there's local commercial community banks. Then there's, you know, and, and those banks are smaller banks up to about, I don't know, 250, 500 million in asset size. Um, maybe a little bit bigger, depending on the region that you're in. I'm in Nebraska. So um, then you kind of get to those and really they're family owned banks, right? And those are banks that are state chartered within the state that they reside. And therefore, you know, they really only lend on assets that are either within their state, or for example, I've been placing a loan for a client uh, that lives in Florida. So some of those community banks, they literally only lend on assets that are within a three to four county region, right? So it's kind of understanding where the bank likes to loan money. So that's a, a community bank. So then as you kind of move up the ladder and what happens is the bank sizes, traditional asset size gets bigger, it means they have a bigger footprint. And what footprint means is where they're willing to lend. So let's say you get kind of like a, a semi-regional to a regional bank that's, okay, it's located here in Lincoln, Nebraska, but they are willing to go lend money on assets in Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, right? Kind of in those states that, you know, border them. They feel comfortable in, in loaning on that asset class. And then you get to regional, super regional. Okay, that, that area gets bigger and then you get to national. What's interesting is that, right, there's always little nuances, right? Some community banks, they don't want to lend outside their community footprint because they're about engaging in the community. So, again, if you, let's say, just if I'm Mandy and I'm buying an asset here in Nebraska 
and it's, you know, in Lancaster County, which is where Lincoln, Nebraska lives, then, okay, probably my first step is I'm going to go to one of my local community banks because they want to lend on assets there. And, you know, I'll uh, have probably a pretty, a pretty good response rate of banks wanting to compete over that. But let's say I'm an owner, like I'm going to be, and I have an asset that's in Ohio. Okay, well, it kind of depends on what my relationships are like in Lincoln, Nebraska. But then I'm probably also going to call on some community banks in Ohio. But then maybe some national banks might come into play. And then there are specific banks that lend to just self-storage, right? They're self-storage. They're specialists in that. And so my advice to people is anytime you're going out and requesting credit, again, one, have yourself organized too. Like it's an, it's also a numbers game and every bank's money is green, but not every bank is in the same situation as far as how they want to lend, what borrowers they want to lend to. Because I had the example of a client that I, that I worked with, they were in, they lived somewhere different than the asset was. Some banks in, in where they lived did not want to lend money on an asset that was out of state. And some of the community banks that were in that locale didn't want to loan money to borrowers that didn't live in the community. So when it came down to it, we've, we've found multiple banks where the criteria works for them. The other piece, too, that I have seen in all asset classes within the last mm, two, three years as some banks have, times have been really prosperous, right? And so they've loaned a lot of money out. So that's another reason sometimes why they might say, you know, we just really can't take your project on. Going back to my example of my customer that lives in one state and has an asset in another, you know, if you were a customer that already worked with us and had dollars with us, we'd be able to do that, but we've, we've lent so much money out. So what I'm getting at is one, don't be, don't be overly frustrated, but you really just have to understand um, what are the mechanics of that bank? Are they a community bank? What is, again, what is their footprint? Where are they willing to lend money? Not only where does the borrower live, but where that asset has to be. Um, and then what are the programs that they have available? So obviously if they have SBA available, then you can look at it in two different ways. You can go, well, I'd like to research my opportunities by using SBA financing, which could include 7A and 504 financing. Or you know what, I'd also like to explore what would my opportunity be if I just do a conventional commercial real estate loan with you. Gotcha. Do you ever yeah. maybe steer a potential borrower away from a bank because that bank, while that bank may express an appetite for self-storage, they have very little experience in the asset? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yes, you, you should look at that as a borrower because I think initially what you asked me about was, it's, you know, a bank is really your partner. And you really do want to go into business with a partner that understands your product. So anytime that you can ask those clarifying questions, you know, how much lending have you done to self-storage? How comfortable are you with that asset class? Those are great questions for you as the borrower to ask when interviewing the bank so that you can get a good feel for, you know, do, 
do they understand what the conditions in the industry are of self-storage? And, you know, when you initially do the loan, everything's great. Everybody's excited. But you really figure out what a relationship is like when you come up against stuff that's maybe not so great. Either, you know, you got a change order because you're doing um, a development ground up construction deal or something's not going right in your lease up process when you were, you know, improving operations on an asset that was already in production. So, yeah, those are all that's always very good to think of um, when you yourself are interviewing banks as far as. What does that look like if I come work with you and how much do you know about self-storage for sure? We're running short on time here, but I want want to get a couple more questions in. You've been in commercial lending for years, and this doesn't have to be on self-storage, but can you think of some times where maybe, you know, a deal has gone bad and, you know, what has gotten the borrower in trouble? I think anytime you you, the borrower, go into a silo and you don't let the bank know that you are seeing something that is not quite right. You, what do you, you mean know, by, what do you mean by silo? Oh, kind of not, you know, again, you're, you're in partnership and numbers don't lie. Right. And typically within a credit agreement, you have to provide financials, right? You have to show what the performance is. And so if you kind of isolate yourself because you know something is not going right, that could lead to trouble. So what I would say is, you know, now there's there's also you have to, if something's not going right, you also don't necessarily just want to call the bank right away in an emotional frenzy. You need to collect yourself. And again, you need to understand what's, is it the market or is it the marketing? You know, is it my product? Is it my people? Is it, you know, what's going on with this asset right now as to why it's not performing. But the, listen, the banks, banks do not loan money because they want to eventually go through foreclosure and own the asset. They just don't. I mean, that is not, I think sometimes there's a perception of that. Oh, the bank just wants to have my, no, they really don't. They actually literally don't want that because that means typically that they're probably going to, they're going to lose money on that. They're not, you know, there's going to be some sort of deficiency on it. So I think if you really feel like something is not going right with the asset and it is going to affect your performance and your ability to pay on your loan, you should have some conversations with the bank and you should be candid and transparent about it. Because if you are, the bank is going to be more willing to work with you to help work through the process, to get everybody where they want to go, which is getting you the borrower and the asset on the right road so that you can make your payments on time and in full. Well, Mandy Monson, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've got uh, your loan broker services. You're offering a 30 minute discovery call to discuss, you know, all the basics of all the things that we just discussed. Can you tell us how people would go about booking that call? Absolutely. So they can go to my website, which is www.mandymonson.com. And there's a button that says, how can we do business together? And so they can, they can click on that button. And yes, it's a 30 minute discovery call. I learn a little bit about you. You learn a little bit about me. And then we see if there's an opportunity. As we mentioned, you're partnering with uh, your partner, Victor Diaz on store 
365.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Yep. And uh, I hope next time we Be speak, great. I hope next time we speak, you've got uh, a facility up and operating. And, and uh, so uh, the best place for someone to contact you would be at mandymonson.com, correct? It would, yes. And you can contact me via by setting up an appointment via Calendly, or you can email me and we can, uh, we can set it up that way. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us today. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Okay. That was Mandy Monson from mandymonson.com. She's also a part of store365.com, which we interviewed Victor Diaz on a previous episode. A little bit different episode uh, here again. You know, we didn't really get into our normal sort of real estate um, money, time, knowledge, and uh, location. But I, I, I still got a ton out of it. I always, I was sort of joking with Mandy afterwards. I said, you know, there's not many people who would enjoy sitting around on a Sunday afternoon talking about bank financing on self-storage. So uh, it's nice to find a kindred spirit sometimes. So. I would say the key lesson learned for me on this was, you know, when you're looking at the five C's of credit, which is character, capacity, capital, collateral, conditions, and Mandy and I sort of went over this a couple of times, is that you can improve a a self-storage facility's operations. You can improve its curb appeal. You can't pick up and move it to a different market. And so when you are looking at a facility to buy, you really have to make sure that market, that little three mile market area is going to work. You know, you need to look at the population of the city. You need to be looking at the storage supply, the demographics. Honestly, that's, that's what I look at long before I, I, dig into a facility. The first place, when somebody sends me a, a, a link for a facility that might be a possibility, the first place I go is, is Google, Google and look up the population of that city. And if it's been shrinking for the last 20 years, there better be something really compelling about that facility to make me want to buy it. So you cannot fix the market. You can't there, there's too much, there's too much behind that. You can fix the asset. You can fix the locate, you can fix the operations. Uh, you cannot fix the market. There's just too much behind it. You've got no control over it. Don't fight it. And my advice would be just don't go there. All right. Uh, once again, that was Mandy Monson from mandymonson.com. I highly recommend if you've got questions about getting, you know, um, financing for self-storage that you set up a 30 minute call with her and, and, um, lean on that expertise. She's been doing this for, for 15, 15 years at least. So, uh, lean on that expertise. All right. I'm Neil Henderson. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review and do let us know why you like the show how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com, and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.